let's get scratching. We got an explosive broadcast coming to you. Listen up. Sega games, just keep playing them. Sega! We're back. It's the Sega Bit Swing Report Show. Get ready for Sega interviews and news with George and Barry. Hello and welcome to episode 78 of the Segabit Swing and Report Show. I'm Barry, with me is George. Hello. And with us we have Sam Mullen of Sega of America. He's a localization producer over there. Hello Sam, thanks for joining us. Hey guys, thanks for having me. So you are here to talk to us about the 3D classics, including the uh, recently uh, announced Genesis games, as well as uh, the upcoming Hatsune Miku title for the uh, Nintendo 3DS. That's right. Um, so before we get into that, though, I just wanted to uh, step back in time, as I like to do with most guests, and uh, find out what sort of video games and consoles you were into while you were growing up. I, I did do some research, and it looks like you weren't a Sega boy. I was not a Sega boy, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. Um, had I known uh, that life would lead me to the place that I, I am, I would have certainly put more effort into it. But, uh, yeah, when I was growing up, um, I, had a, uh, I started my first console... It was actually Atari 2600, um, and I played a lot of that. You know, it, it, the great thing about an Atari 2600, though, at the time, is like literally like a three-year-old could play something because the games were so simple back then, and they were so abstract that you often didn't know what you were doing. Um, but yeah, I, I played a 2600, and then um, I had a, my my parents bought like a little I, IBM PC Junior, I think in '86, and so I played like a little bit of really, really early uh, PC games. And after that, um, and I, of course, I had friends around the neighborhoods. Neighborhood were picking up, you know, the NES and all that. So eventually, I, I convinced Santa Claus to bring me an NES. So uh, I played the NES. A couple years after that, SNES came out and got a cop, got one of those. And then by that point, I was starting to get ready to go for college. So I was kind of bumming console time off roommates and whatnot for like the PlayStation One and 64 and whatnot. Nice. So, but I did have, but there were there were just going back to Sega. There were kids in the neighborhood who, who did have. Um, <clears throat> there was definitely a kid up the street who had a Genesis and a, a Sega CD, and um, I did. I, I can't, you know, I, I did play a little bit of it, but they just weren't my own um, consoles. So. Yeah, I mean that that's kind of how it how it went. You you latched onto friends. Sometimes I, you know kids would make friends just because they're like, well, they have a console that's different than mine, so they're they're the perfect friend to have. I had a yeah. friend who had a SNES. I didn't like him, but, you know, he had a <laughs> SNES. <laughs> yeah. uh, I'm wondering, then, how did you get your start in the games industry, and what led to your job at uh, Sega of America? So, uh, so my start in the game industry. So, back uh, in 2005, I was, coming back, I was moving back from Japan off the JET program, and a friend of mine, a high school friend of mine, was uh, living in Hawaii at the time, and she was working on mobile games, like as a mobile game tester. And she had a friend who had recently moved to the mainland, to into, uh, into Los Angeles, and that guy was working on mobile games as well. And uh, as I was moving back, I was talking to my friend, and she was like, oh, I know a guy who's looking for testers. You know, they want bilingual guys. Are you interested? And I said, sure. So I flew into Los Angeles, um, and interviewed with at Bandai um, for their like they had, within their um, 
this is like pre this is just before the Bandai Namco merger so it was still Bandai game they still have Bandai games but I was technically working in the um in the in the in Bandai of America which is actually the toy group they had like a little mobile group mobile game group uh, in there I interviewed um, and I got a, got a tester job um, and uh, moved from moved out to California started working there uh, within a couple months they needed some more project management types so they they Upgraded me from tester to a project manager, and then I, uh, yeah, I just started kind of working on that. This is before the iPhone existed. This is back in the dark ages when, <laughs> when the ra- the Motorola Razor was the was was the hot phone at the time, and that is not a device to be making video games for, guys. It was a rough, <laughs> it was a rough start. But uh, from there, um, a couple years went on, and uh, I had an opportunity to move over to Atlas, and I worked at Atlas for a couple years doing localization stuff. And then um, in 2000, late 2009, I uh, I just got uh, got a, a job offer from Sega. They they were looking for more uh, bilingual localization producers. So I said, hey, let's do that. So uh, moved up here, and I've been in San Francisco for ever since for five years. Oh wow! So what are the responsibilities of your job? And because um, I know we we've, we've spoken to former producers uh, at Sega, and um, They've told us a bit about what a producer does, but how does a localization producer differ, or are there differences? Um, well, within Sega, you know, a producer is sort of a, a producer is a producer is a producer. Um, the only real difference is that uh, a normal producer is one that that kind of manages game development within the region that they're stationed in. A localization producer just simply deals with localization that's based in another region. So, um, I I. Uh, specialize in working with Japan, so all the games that I work on are developed in Japan, um, and either that means that I'm working on uh, like a West-funded game that's being developed in Japan, or I'm working on a game that was funded and built in Japan for the Japanese audience, and I'm trying to bring it outside uh, to a Western market. So uh, the main, the, so my basic uh, core responsibility is just is like kind of doing day-to-day, talking to Japan, making sure schedules are being met, you know. Making sure the team, all my QA teams, and all those people, you know, have the knowledge of the game that they need to have. Um, reviewing, you know, text. Uh, making sure not too much, too much time or money is being used to get something done. Um, it's, you know, it's a management job. It's a project mm-hmm. management job. Interesting. Uh, George. Um, yeah, I'm just gonna skip this first question because I mean it's obvious the answer to that one. Um, but uh, what's it like working with uh, Sega of Japan, Sega of Europe, and uh, Sega of America when it comes to localizing titles? Uh, so you know, every every company in every region has like a slightly different flavor. Um, so one of the challenges in working across regions is not only is there you know uh, you know sometimes a language difference, but the time difference actually um, is is really kind of wild as well. Um, sometimes when you need you you need to ask somebody something. Um, you're, they're not online because it, it's like 12 o'clock at night there, and they've all gone home. So, um, so it's all about you know making sure you're using your time effectively um, and uh, making sure you're, you know, looking past any language barriers that, that pop up and being very open-minded and very understanding. Um, so, but yeah, I mean, they're good people. People in Europe are really great people. People in Japan are really talented, really great people as well. Um. Okay, we've had already two waves of the 3D uh, 3D Classic series for the 3DS. Uh, what made Sega go forward and announce the uh, these last three titles they just announced? Well, so, also I think George too. We want to know what. How did the series start off too? Yeah. So how did the series start off? 
so the series started off back um, quite a while ago. Um, I think this series actually got like sort of brought on board. Oh goodness, let me going back. I'm having the like the time kind of thing. Uh, it's a long time ago, like back in 2011-ish, maybe 2012, and it was actually all part of this. Um, you know, get content, get Sega content onto 3DS. Uh, so if you guys may, may recall, um, there's a whole bunch of uh, Game Gear titles that you can get on the 3DS too, virtual console titles. Um, and these are just straight up virtual console ports. Um, that, you know, they, they're just Game Gear games on your 3DS. Um, and those were actually done by M2 as well. Um, and as part of that package, um, we, you know, the, the Sega West onboarded these, um, these 3D conversions. Um, and at the time, it was being it was being worked on by a separate. It wasn't being worked on by me. It was by a completely separate producer. So I don't actually know any of the details about how it got brought on board. But um, around early 2012, there was some like shuffling, and then I, I got assigned this 3DS project um, because I had previous experience working um, with him too on the Sega Vintage Collection 3 project, which is uh, you know like some more ports. Some classic ports for Xbox 360 and PS3. I highly recommend you check them out. It's really cool. It's a great series, by the way. Yeah, that's all M2 as well. So you can tell because those those games as well have all those like extra modes in them and the leaderboards and all kinds of little quirky stuff in them. Um, but yeah, so so we so I started working on these these 3D classic titles and at the time you know I I'd been working on M2 stuff up up until then and I was. When I was when I was the project was handed over to me, I, I didn't actually quite have a good idea about like what I was what this was being handed to me. I was just thinking, you know, probably like what honestly a lot of people think. A lot of people think, oh, they're just virtual console games. Oh, and they have some stereoscopic 3D thrown in them. Okay, whatever, big deal, right? So I, you know, I'm working on these games. I'm getting them submitted into Nintendo, and we, you know, we got them scheduled to be launched at the end of um of, of 2013. And um, sometimes I have questions about these games, right? Like I'm like working on the translation. There's some like weird text that, has to, that pops up, like like upright arcade box or whatever, right? There's like and some some things in the in the in the options. I'm like, uh, or what was it? Like the PSG emulation thing, right? Like uh, how they emulate, you know, the the Genesis one and Genesis two stuff separately. And so I'd be like, I'm not, I don't understand what this is. So I would email Okanai-san, you know, the, the, the producer over at uh, SOJ, and I'd be like, hey, hey, man, like, what is this, what is this referring to, or what, what, why is this significant? And then he would be constantly emailing me back, and be like, oh, well, we discussed it in this interview. Here, 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 here's the, here's the reference, here's the link, right? And I would go and look at these interviews to find specifically what he was talking about so I could get my answer, question answered. But I would notice, I'm like, man, these are these interviews look like like they're really interesting. I should go back and read these through at some point because they look interesting. And then um, a little as we're getting closer to the release dates, like probably like an October time frame, um, Julian, our uh, our community manager, comes by and he's all like, "Hey, I want I'm trying to come up with ideas about what we should do to promote these games." And I said very offhanded to him, "I'm like, oh, well, you know, there are these interviews that." That apparently SOJ did. Um, maybe I maybe we, maybe I should translate one, and maybe it's a good blog thing to do. And he's like, "Okay, sure." So I uh, picked up the, um, the the what was actually the last one, the Streets of Rage interview, and I uh, just started. I just translated like one page of it, right? And uh, by the end of that first page, I was like, 
holy crap, these things are amazing. We're going to have to translate all of them. Uh, because I'd, I'd already noticed in the first article that even the first page they were making back, back references to previous articles. So I knew I couldn't just translate the one, like one or two. I'd have to actually translate them all to get them, because uh, it, it obviously told a story all the way through. So we started translating these articles. I started went back to the very beginning. I went back to Space Marine. I started translating it from top down. And all of a sudden, just by translating, by reading these, these interviews, these games, which I thought were just virtual console games with 3D thrown into them, became this whole new experience. You know, it became, it came, became not only about just, like, the classic game itself, but, like, what went into making the game? Why is this game significant? What are the troubles of putting 3D into a game, into a game because it's not simple? What about all these extra modes and all these, you know, these, this thought that M2 put into these games? And it, it, it took me on this amazing trip through this, this first batch. And when I got done with it, I was like, oh, I want to be able to share this with everyone else. Uh, are we, or I, I want to make sure that everyone has the same kind of experience that I did learning about these games in depth, um, and that's sort of that's how you know the first uh, the first batch came kind of came on board. How long did it kind of take you to translate like probably like the first wave of interviews? Uh, so I kind of killed myself to do that one, uh, <laughs> and. Uh, you know, I started probably translating in October, and I remember we were, I was finishing up the last couple, like, when the first couple games were being launched, so it took a couple months. I don't think people understand that, you know, translating takes, a, you know, sometimes a long time, especially to get it correct. Yeah. 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 Uh, Barry, you had a question? Yeah, I was wondering, so what sort of work goes into bringing these titles to the West on your end? I know, for example, um, uh, Streets of Rage goes by a different title in Japan, um, so there's that sort of difference. But uh, could you walk me through the uh, localization process? Right. So the localization um, of the game itself isn't actually that much work at all. Um, the text is pretty reused from one game to the next. The only thing you have to really add in um, is... Uh, stuff that's specific to that particular game, or like if if M2 decides they want to rework the UI, then sometimes there's like little changes to the UI. Like if you go back and play Space Harrier and you compare that to like a late um, batch two title, you notice the UI has kind of evolved over time. Um, but the localization, the game itself is actually not, not hardly any work. Uh, what actually ends up being a lot of work is the manual, the e-manuals. The e-manuals are are always on any game. Anytime you guys buy a game, please open the e-manual and at least thumb through it because you, it's shocking how much work those are to actually do. Um, and a lot of people don't actually spend the time to read them. But uh, the e-manuals are a lot of are, are, are a huge cost um, and it, you're, you know, huge, a huge time suck because if you translate them into multiple languages, it, it takes a lot of work to, to get that done. But the games themselves, it's just a matter of kind of you know, bringing them on board, putting the time in to get the get the, get the strings swapped out, and and just sort of the you know, the, the the red tape and everything it takes to just kind of get a game out in the first place. So I'm wondering too. This isn't a question here, but I don't think it's too controversial. Uh, with the Genesis titles, obviously it's the Mega Drive in Europe. Is there any difference between the um, American and European releases for the Genesis games? And the, you know, the sometimes yeah, sometimes we have different. Sometimes yeah, we have different strings for um, for like uh, certain things. Um, but generally, we try to kind of keep them as close, you know, 
you know, we try not to, there's not so much in there that that's, um, requires that sort of localization. Um, because M2 tends to just like throw every single version into the, into the, um, into, uh, the game. However, that said, uh, like for example, in the upcoming Streets of Two, Streets of Rage Two release, uh, the um, the uh, the European version uses the European ROM, where the which is slightly different because it uses the Roman numeral two, and the American version will actually use the ROM from the Europe, the American release, which uses the, the numeral two. Oh wait a minute, guys! Wait a minute, guys! Wait a minute, guys! I there's a I have a there's a, a stranger walking around my office. What is this guy? I thought we had security on our doors. How did they let people let you in? Oh, that's scary. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, it looks like I am, our office is being uh, invaded by the illustrious Aaron Weber. Oh. Come here, Aaron. What are we doing? Is this a podcast? Yeah, we've got yeah, you. Yeah, we're doing podcasts. Hey. hey, what's up, guys? How you doing, Aaron? Doing well. How about you? Good. Oh, we're doing pretty good. We're just talking about 3D, uh, 3DS titles. Ooh, nice. Nice, yeah. nice. We got that, we got that Sonic. Sonic. Mm. So what are you doing around there, Aaron? I actually visit the office every now and then just for fun. Um, Certainly. Fridays are good days. Did you? I mean, you told me about the stuff that was given away and all that stuff, right? Oh, so, uh, we... <laughs> They're like, we're gonna throw this stuff out. I'm like, no, this is really special Sega merchandise and history from the like the last 20 years. You can't throw it away. And they're like, well, someone's gotta take it. So I, every now and then I'll just come in and grab stuff and take it home and store it somewhere. I don't even have enough space for this stuff, but I don't want to see it get thrown out. So have you, you guys some stuff? Let me know. Uh, can you tell me some of the stuff you got? That you, I mean. Yeah. Um, there was there was a giant like Sonic, uh, I think it was from Sonic Unleashed, um, like a giant Sonic wall art piece that was like done on on it was vinyl. It was really nice, high quality stuff, and it's probably like ten feet long. It's wrapped up. It's huge. Um, there was a Skies of Arcadia Dreamcast original poster that that I picked up, and I was really happy to have that. Stephen Frost actually grabbed that for me because he knew I was a big Skies of Arcadia fanboy. Um, a ton of old classic Sonic licensing stuff. Um, it, it's very random stuff, but just a whole bunch of it. And then I think there was something that was like a Virtua Fighter promotional piece. It said like, it, I think it was like Fighting Game 1993 or something like that. I think that's Virtua Fighter. Anyway, there's a whole mix of stuff. And maybe someday we'll have to show it off. But uh, yeah, it was pretty cool. Interesting. Well, hey, if you have any I'm gonna kick you out. to scan. This is my show. This is not the Aaron Weber show. Get out of here. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, back to Sam. Jeez, I'm sorry about that. Well, you know, now I'm going to have to put his name very large above yours in the graph. No, I'm just I know, right? I know. It totally <laughs> stole my thunder. Oh, man. It's like those uh, bad direct-to-DVD movies where they have the uh, the actor who plays a five-minute role and all of a sudden uh, uh, becomes the star just because it's one of his oldies. Yeah. Uh, anyway. We could try. <laughs> we can try. Uh, so let's, anyway, what were we talking we can about? Try. We were talking about 3D Classics. Yes, George actually had a question about the developer interviews. Mm. Oh, yes. Well, I mean, he answered the first question. He's really good. I mean, you got ahead of the, the, the questions. But, uh, 
can we expect future uh, future uh, translated uh, developer interviews for the next couple games that are coming out? So for the following three games, um, yeah. So Okunai-san and Horii-san do continue to do those interviews. Um, whether we're going to be able to deliver them, we kind of t- approach them on a case by case basis. Um, I would certainly like. I, I would hope they will be able to supply that, but um, you know, it kind of depends on how things kind of pan out. The, the 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 difficult thing this time around is because uh, in in the past there's been a huge gap between the Japanese releases and the American releases. Uh, so you know, the Japanese version comes out and there's interviews and then there's like months of time and then the, the the North American versions come out. This time it's a little bit more difficult because the, the releases are so much, so much closer together that um, even if we are we try to do some of the interviews, we might not be able to get them translated in time in, in the, some, the same way we have in the past. So, we'll, But nothing's just idea. We'll have to see what happens. Have you ever thought about, you know, I don't know, like doing like your guys' own interviews or fan questions from the West? Uh, yeah, we've thought about it. <laughs> And um, oh, my my next question is, uh, uh, what led you guys to uh, pick, you know, Sonic Two, Streets of Rage Two, and Gunstar Heroes? I mean, I I would consider those games to be more, I guess, especially Sonic Two and Streets of Rage Two more popular in the West compared to like the arcade games are popular in Japan, I guess. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. So the whole the whole concept. So for the first, the second batch, when originally when that project was originally kind of brought online. Uh, those that was we didn't actually plan to bring that out in America, so that was not or out overseas rather, and that's why they're all arcade games because the idea was that that Japan wanted to do a second second series and focus on what they felt the Japanese population wanted to play, and and you know arcades are much more popular in Japan in a broader sense than the uh, the home consoles were, which is the opposite of how it basically it's the opposite of how it works over here, where over here yes the arcades were popular. But not nearly as popular popular as Sega's uh, home console stuff. So the original, the second batch was designed to just really satiate the you know that sort of Japanese nostalgia for the arcade communities. Um, however, when we, we decided to bring the games over here, we we're like, look, you know, if we're gonna go through trouble doing this all over, you know, get M2 back on board to start working on games again, let's make sure that we add in a little bit more uh, Genesis games because on the, on the first batch. You know, there's a notable difference between the, the first batch's arcade titles and the Genesis stuff. The Genesis stuff, everyone eats that stuff over up over here. Uh, so we wanted to make sure we had some Genesis titles as well. So we commissioned uh, M2 to you know add at those three titles. And to answer your question as to why those were chosen, well, you know, just like you said, those are very popular uh, titles uh, for us. Um, you you can go back and look at you know, uh, performance on like the old virtual console games when we released those for the Wii. And you know. Uh, Streets of Rage 2, Gunstar Heroes, and Sonic the Hedgehog 2, um, you know, stand ahead above a lot of the other titles that we have out. Interesting. I'm wondering then, uh, what sort of work was involved in lining up a, I wouldn't say so much a multi-region announcement, but they definitely came very closely. In fact, I, I believe the American announcement came before Japan. Yes. Yeah, well, I mean, because it was a, you know, at that point, it was a, a coordinated effort, um, and yeah, we just knew that we knew that they were coming, and uh, it hadn't been announced in Japan yet, so we decided to kind of uh, just do one of those round-the-clock sort of things where, you know, we announce it here, it's the middle of the night in Japan, and then when they come online, you know, then bam, when they come online in the morning, that's our evening, so then we get that second kind of push um, news media because the Japanese announcements go out. So, yeah, it was just really well-timed for us. 
<laughs> and uh, aside from being Genesis Mega Drive titles, the three games you guys picked also have something to common, which is co-op. So I'm wondering, can we expect to see two-player features in some fashion with these games? So, um, so Streets of Rage 2 um, does support uh, multiplayer. Um, and I'm pretty sure, I mean, because that's built, basically, at this point, it's built into the uh, into the Giga Drive, as they call it, um, <laughs> the multiplayer support. Um, I don't know if they've announced either either way um, on, the, on the next two titles, so I'm just going to keep my mouth shut on that one. Okay, fair enough. Um, another question I had, too. Uh, M2 has a history with Gunstar Heroes. Um, I don't know, maybe, George, you can correct me, but don't they, sh- aren't some of them former uh, staff? Of treasure, yeah, yeah. There's a lot of them, a lot of former former treasure guys. Um, so, so working, they actually worked on the Japanese title Sega Ages 2500 series, Volume 25, Gunstar Heroes Treasure Box, which is kind of a mouthful. Uh, can we expect to see features from this release carried out over? I know the um, the Sega Ages version had a prototype version of the game. Right. So the Sega, so the, so the Sega Ages um, collection series, it, essentially works under sort of a... So each one, every time you build one of these kind of these packages, you have to have a theme, right? You have to kind of, you have to go and like, you have to set a scope. You can't just like throw everything in in the kitchen and the kitchen sink unless that's literally the the thing you're shooting for. So for these releases, the the goal really is to deliver that, you know, uh, polished... 3D implementation uh, for for you know uh, for a Genesis title that you, you would expect from them too. So the plan isn't to have any of those like extra because you know, the, the treasure box collection is literally like let's find every single Gunstar Heroes thing that we possibly can and put it all into this one package. And that was the Gunstar Heroes treasure box thing. Um, so that's not really the, the goal. Person. Another important thing to remember too is that the, the PlayStation 2 is also a more powerful machine than the 3DS. And so there's limitations that are associated with that as well. Right, of course. Hmm. Interesting. Um, uh, I have George? a question. Uh, uh, Sonic 2, you guys did a Sonic 2 remasters on uh, on mobile, and it, uh, they had new features, like you guys had uh, new playable characters like Knuckles. Uh, can we see it? Are, are, are like M2 like looking at those versions of those games when they're doing their 3 um, Sonic the Hedgehog 2? I know that they're, you know, of course, M2 is aware of that release. Um, and don't quote me as I'm not, I'm not totally f- super familiar with the with the Sonic mobile version. But if I remember correctly, I, I think that that's actually built from scratch, um, and not yeah, not emula- not emulated, right? So when you build something from scratch, um, a great example is Fantasy Fantasy Zone 2 W is a, is a great example of that. That's what you can do when you build something from scratch. Um, the Sonic the Hedgehog 2. 3D Sonic the Hedgehog 2 is an emula- it will be an emulated title, so it's you know it's it's running on the Giga Drive, uh, so that limits the you know with their the sort of stuff that they're able to change in that. But uh, you know it'll still have all the stuff that you would expect uh, you know M2 to kind of bring to the table. Don't worry. All right, um, how does uh, localizing localizing a 3D title from uh, arcade to the Sega Genesis 3D Classic? How does that differ? So, um, so the Genesis is actually my understanding is Genesis is kind of a um, it's kind of difficult to it, well not difficult that's not the right way it's it's more tricky to emulate a Genesis than it is arcade hardware. Um, um, so, and, and because of that, I think uh, maybe M2 um, had a little bit more freedom 
um, with the sort of arcade stuff. They had a little bit. I mean, you, if you go back and read the interviews, you can see how much trouble they actually have getting a lot of stuff to work um, because of the limitations of you know the, the you know the, the 3ds. Not that not that the 3ds is a weak piece of hardware, but there's just certain types of things it's not particularly good at when you're trying to emulate uh, arcade hardware on it. But in addition to that, uh, the Genesis has a lot of things that you've got to got to kind of put in there. Um, and I think M2 actually has a little bit more um, experience. They have a well, they, maybe not more experience, but they have a lot of experience working with the, the arcade stuff. In some ways, I think they're more familiar with it. Um, but the Genesis stuff, you know, it's it, it's just trickier because there's more there's more constraints uh, in which you have to you know you have to kind of operate. Also, the game design really really makes a difference too. Um, so, for example, like uh, for the Super Scalar games. Um, the stuff that's flying you know, when you're flying into the screen, uh, for example, like you can uh, add widescreen to that pretty easily because ultimately the sides of the screen don't affect gameplay because it's just like stuff flying by your head. But in a, in a game like like uh, like um, Streets of Rage or Sonic the Hedgehog, if you widen the screen out, then you then that affects the game balance because you've got to adjust for you know when enemies are going to be spawning on screen. That's stuff that the, the Genesis doesn't. Even have have uh, you know, the capability to even display that kind of stuff because of the hardware limitations. So it's different. It's very different. All right. Um, I was going to say um, M2 has been you know uh, improving as they've been releasing titles, especially with the extras they add in each title. Mm-hmm. Um, what can we expect? What can you talk about uh, of, of of like of new features in the upcoming Sega Genesis uh, remasters? Or uh, re-releases, right? So um, they kind of pull out all the stops when it comes to these arcade, uh, the arcade games, um, because there's a lot of more, there's a lot more freedom um, to work within. I think, and because of the hardware, so the Genesis games always have to. At the end of the day, they have to run on a Genesis. Um, so, so some of the stuff that they can swap in um, or swap out is somewhat limited, um, but at the same time, you know, it's still there's going to be you know at least one new mode. You know, new feature. The big thing right now is that they like to um, they like to add in two, at least two things. One is like some way to mix up the gameplay, and some way to make the game kind of easier without just simply adjusting the difficulty. So you'll you'll get at least one of those two things in every game. Hmm. I'm wondering, in regards to uh, Gunstar Heroes, does Sega have to get approval from Treasure? In regards to adding things to the uh, re-release, or even re-releasing it in general, I'm not really. I'm actually not really sure on that. Okay, because I I do know uh, Gunstar. Uh, what's the Guardian Heroes? Didn't that come out? Yeah. Yeah, a, yeah that was, we brought that out on what was that like a Xbox 360? Right. So it it seems like Sega's pretty either. Chummy with uh, treasure, or it's just incredibly easy to release their titles. I'm not sure. Um, yeah, I mean, we, I think, I, I think uh, some of that is also probably a little bit, a little bit of M2 magic as well. But um, you know, like anything that basically anything that that ran on Genesis at some point, Sega has it's it's. Sega has inroads in the, you know how to get that stuff out out. Of course. Of okay. Huh. Um. This is a more technical question. I wasn't sure if you knew the answer, but I uh, thought, thought we'd throw it out there. In an old interview that you guys posted with M2, uh, you talk about how hard it is to do action side-scrolling in 3D, and the reason that Streets of Rage 1 made it into the 3D classes classics was that it didn't have a faux perspective. 
So I'm wondering what has changed since then, uh, if you can answer the question. It's uh, it's basically just Intune has gotten really gotten much better at it. Um, so back so back when the pro when the 3D project 3D classic project was actually originally uh, bootstrapped, the actually the um, Gunstar Heroes and Streets of Rage 2 were actually originally on the list of games to be released in the bat in batch one, but at the time basically M2 was like we can't do these games we just there's too many unknowns and we just don't think we can get them running. Um, and get them running. We, or we, it's not that they don't think that we can't get it running. It's that we don't know how difficult it's going to be, so it's hard for us to like put a price tag on it. Um, right. So, but, but after you know working on 13 other titles, now they're kind of like, oh, yeah, we we can make we, this work we now. Make we, work. Know, we know the work that needs to be done, and we know what's what it's going to take. So let's give it a try now. So originally, Sheets of Rage 2 and Gunstar Heroes were knocked off the list and replaced by other titles. Um, but uh, yeah, yeah, but they're yeah, back because they, they wanted to do it in the first place. Very cool. Um, so I think we're going to move on to our next uh, title that we're going to be talking about, still for the 3DS. Um, we should probably be a little quiet, though, because if uh, Aaron hears us talking about it, he might burst into the room. Um, George, do you want to field the first question? Uh, Hatsune Miku Project Moray DX on the 3DS uh, set to release late, uh, late May in the U.S. and Europe. Continuing the long trend of Hatsune Miku titles released seen outside of Japan, what challenges did Sega face when making this decision to localize Miku games? Uh, for for Miku games, um, the main the main thing was like is the demand there. I mean, when it comes to Miku, the back in the back when we originally started working with Hatsune Miku, um, it was just uh, you know not really being aware of you know, what the what the market was like for the property and you know how popular she's going to be. But over the past two two years, you know, um, she's definitely gotten a lot more mainstream presence. People kind of know who she is, especially the, you know the younger crowd. Um, you know, she's had a, a concert. They had Miku Expo last year in October, um, which was really amazing. Um, and you know, and now now that we're, we've got two uh, Hatsune Miku games under our belt here in West, you know, we, it's it's less of an unknown. We kind of know what to expect. All right, um, Miku's Western success is no doubt helped by the franchise's devoted fan base. How how has it been? Uh, how has it been uh, interacting with fans in the shows and at events? Oh, Miku fans are the best. They're the best. They're, you know, Miku brings a, a really creative, um, upbeat crowd. You know, they they love the content because it's all built by the fans. It's all built by the collaboration. Um, yeah, I, I love I love I love working on um, Hatsune Miku just because uh, the fans are are amazing. Um, okay, uh, you guys. Released, releasing that Project Moray DX. Uh, how is that different from uh, Project Moray 2 that was released in Japan? So how is DX different from Mirai 2? That's a great question. Um, so the differences, so for those who are not aware, aware uh, in Japan uh, there's been two uh, games in the Project Mirai series to date. Uh, Project, Project Mirai uh, Future Stars, I think it was, and then Project Mirai 2. Project Mirai 2 released in in back in November of 2013. Um, and there were a lot of significant changes between Mirai 1 and Mirai 2. Like the gameplay, a lot of things a lot of things changed because um, there was a lot of feedback to Japan on how to make uh, the first one better and they, they onboarded all that stuff and made you know, Mirai 2. Um, the first game had like, it didn't have so many songs in it, but the second game not only had all the old songs, but it had a whole bunch of new songs and I think Mirai 2 had, had 47 songs total in it. 
uh, with three difficulties and two ways to play the game. So uh, for Mirai DX, um, they're adding a new song. There's actually a lot. At face value, it looks very similar. Like you just booted it up and looked at the at the main menu and just like tab through the menus. Um, you would make the mistake of ma actually think it's basically the same game. Um, but there not only is there a new song, um, they've also added in uh, like they swapped in a lot of the videos. So a lot of the videos have been remade. Um, they've added new mi new mini games in. They've added more costumes. They've added in. Uh, uh, more player cards, more street pass stuff into it. Um, you can play uh, this thing called Miku Versi, which is like um, it's like Othello, basically, if you know what that is. Um, and it's super fun. It's like one of my favorite things to do in it. Um, so yeah, there's a ton of there's a ton of like stuff under the hood, like new Easter eggs, stuff that wasn't in there in the, in the original. Cool. So if someone were to have imported the old one, this one's definitely worth picking up. This one's definitely worth picking up. Um, if they imported the old one, I think in the Japanese version, uh, you, there's actually a, a data import feature. Um, so if you have the Japanese version and you get the Japanese version of DX, you can actually import your data and kind of upgrade. Um, but you obviously can't do that because there's no for the American version because there's no um, there's no uh, there's no Midai two. Um, but still, it's 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 definitely um, it's certainly worth checking out. Um, there was a lot of gameplay balance stuff that went in. They added in all these like new help items and new ways to change the way that the the HUD works. Oh, it's just like it's su it's such an elegantly designed and built piece of software. Um, I can't I can't believe we're we're pricing it at we're pricing it because there's so much gameplay in it. Um, <laughs> it honestly should fetch an, a seventy dollar price point, but I think uh, I don't really know what the price is right now, but I know it's probably more than forty dollars. Hmm, interesting. It's it's a, um, it's a, it is easily a sixty dollar game. It's easily a sixty dollar game. Nice. Well then, I'm looking forward to uh, picking it up. You you guys should be. Uh, just, I don't know. Anyway, uh, Miku has largely been seen on Sony platforms in the West, making Hatsune Miku Project Mirai DX a likely introductory game for a lot of people. Um, how does Project Mirai compare to the Project Diva titles? So I, I don't like to compare the two games very much because they're not it, it's a little bit of apples and oranges. The only thing the only the only literally the only similarities are like uh, the fact that it's Hatsune Miku and the fact that it's got a rhythm, like a music rhythm game aspect to it. But the similarity is actually kind of in there. Um, it's a it's a it's a new kind of game with a new visual style. Um, if you like Vocaloid, you will love it. Um, but it's it is kind of its its own little thing, so I don't I don't really like to draw comparisons because I, I feel like it gives a false impression of uh, of like what the game is like. Do you have a personal favorite feature or song in the game? Personal favorite feature, um, I really like how the way uh, the so I, I consider Minai DX to be it's not just a rhythm game it's it's almost like an it's almost like a companion uh, a companion app so like. When you sit it on the main screen, so let's say you're sitting on the main menu, right? They've got this thing. It's got this really interesting. Uh, so the character is on the top screen, walking around her little room that you've kind of designed for her. And the more you play the game, the more you spend with the character. They walk around. They get more animations. They get more actions. Um, you can actually go into into hangout mode. You can talk to them. You can give them treats, and they do all this sort of special stuff. Um, and it's just much more. It's really it's really interactive, and it's like one of those things you just kind of want to leave on your desk. Like just sitting there running, 
um, because sometimes you look over, then the character's like doing something really random, really cute, or whatever. Uh, like you can put, for example, you could put a um, a Virtual Fighter 2 console or arcade machine in their room, and your character will walk over and start playing uh, playing um, fighting games or whatever. So that's there's a really ton cool. of stuff in there uh, that's like that. Um, I also really enjoy playing the new mini game, the new uh, Mikaversi game. I'm a big Othello fan. Uh, when I was when I, used to, I told you guys I used to work on on cell phone games back like in the Razor days, and one of the games band I was publishing at the time was Othello. So I spent a lot of time playing uh, Reversi against computers. Um, so <laughs> I really like enjoy enjoy uh, playing. Sometimes when I need to take a break at work, I just pick up and play play Miku in a quick game of uh, Miku Versi, and it's it's really great. And some people really like the you know there's also Puyo Puyo in there as well. Um, you can play either against the computer, or you can play a local player. Um, so if you need to get your Puyo Puyo fix, um, Mirai IDX is definitely the place to go to it. And of course, there's all the songs as well. I mean, there's there's literally like there's uh, 48 songs, two modes of play, and each each mode has uh, three different difficulties. So you know if you just need to get uh, your fix on, you can do that. And also, actually, in speaking of like probably the coolest feature, actually, when you're thinking about features, uh, there's there's a music player mode in it. Like you can open up this like uh, track list thing, and you can select the tracks you want. And when you start playing it, you can actually sleep your, you can actually you know close your 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 DS like you would sleep it. And as long as you have a uh, like a headphone plugged in, it'll keep playing and it won't actually put to sleep. So you can actually use it as a music player. Oh, that's really cool, because I, I do know some of the Sonic uh, 3DS and DS titles do that, but I, I know some uh, Nintendo titles that don't, and so that's... Sega, Sega does. That's nice. I like when they do that, because I want to listen to the music. I'm not going to sit there with the, the 3DS open. Very yep. cool. Um, this isn't a question on the list. I just was curious, do the uh, Japanese versions of the game, do they have uh, any like seasonal extras, things that pop up at certain times of the year? Uh, yeah, I mean, and all that's in the English version as well. Okay, cool. It's, so, so all the events that. that'll pop up—it's all—it's very Japanese-centric. So, like, like come April, like, so as as you may know, like, uh, Gumi is actually pr- present in the game, right? It's a, it's it, you know in all the other games, uh, Gumi doesn't show up, but there are actually Gumi songs in this game. And Gumi comes and visits you every so often, depending on the season, and delivers items that are available for only a short amount of time. So, for example. Uh, just the other day, this week, I opened up my copy of the game, my test copy of the game, and lo and behold, uh, Gumi shows up with um, some uh, carp, carp streamers, you know, because uh, May 5th is uh, Boys' Day in Japan. And so in, on Boys' Day, on, on Kodomo Nehi, they, they put up these carp streamers in, in the neighborhood or whatever. So Gumi shows up and gives you carp streamers to decorate your room with uh, during that time period. So all that stuff's in there. That's that's cute. Is there the um, little cake with the strawberries on it? I always uh, see those birthday, games. They, they will, uh, yeah. You mean like a Christmas cake or like birthday cakes and all that? Yeah. Yep. Oh, that's funny. Oh, very cool. I'm looking forward to that. Uh, do you know the release date? Um, is it's nailed down? I don't have it in my notes here. Uh, stand by for that. Okay. <laughs> okay. Um, all right. My question was going to be: uh, Can you briefly tell us other titles you worked at, uh, on at Sega, and which one's your favorite title? Oh, you can't ask me what my favorite title is. That's like asking you to choose which child is your favorite. Uh, <laughs> let's see what games. What games have I worked on? So my first, I do. So my first game at Sega was a, was uh, Sega's first Kinect title, a little game called Sonic Free Riders. 
Um, that was that was interesting. I'd never worked on Connect before. I'd never worked on a Sonic title before. Um, well, I, that's actually not true. I did work on Sonic back when I was a bad guy. But, um, but that was really interesting. I worked on a, a, another game called Rise of Nightmares. It's a mm. zombie punching game. Really interesting. Uh, what else have I worked on? I worked on Binary Domain. I worked on uh, a lot of the, uh, like I said, uh, SVC3. Uh, I worked on... Uh, what else? Lost World. I worked on uh, Mario and Sonic London, the 3DS version. I worked on Rhythm Thief. Um, wow. What else? I like all these games. All the Miku games. All the Miku games are mine. All the 3D, 3D classics are mine. Um, DFC is mine. Fighting Climax. <laughs> what else? Am I missing anything? They all start to blend, blend together for a while, after a while. Yeah, Rise of Nightmares especially. That was uh, that was a favorite of mine. It was it's a good Halloween game to um, mm. dig out. Uh, do you have any interesting stories from working on that? I've, I'm just I have tons of stories for, for, for Rise of Nightmares, but I'd actually have to sit down and, and try to dig them out of my memory. The the thing about the thing that people don't realize about Rise of Nightmares though, this is no one knows this, but that's actually a date game. People don't realize it, but Rise of Nightmares is a date game. You're supposed to Play it with a girlfriend because <laughs> because what happens is uh, seriously like you you know you invite someone over it's kind of scary it's physical you, you both get kind of sweaty playing a little bit it, you know it's good for laughs you have a couple of drinks and play some rising nightmares um, it's actually supposed to be played with uh, play with with a with a girl who likes horror movies um, <laughs> what is so, going on at Sega of Japan then is this some sort of <laughs> Well, that wow. game was actually was was designed by some guys who have have some arcade background. Um, so it's got that it you know it's it's built to have that sort of uh, arcade play spans, like short little bursts and a little bit of story thrown in there. Um, you know, it's supposed to be kind of relatively easy to play once you get the hang of it. Um, yeah, I mean, it's it's a very interesting. It's that that game is is definitely easily one of the most interesting games I've ever worked on. There's just yeah. a lot of really weird stuff going on. To my knowledge, it's one of the only three roaming connect games, too. Yeah, and uh, and I, I would I would I mean there's a there's a reason for that because free roaming is really really hard um, with connect as it turns out. Um, Sega, we were really trying to push the envelope on that one, um, and you know it's it's interesting. Like the game is really really fascinating. You know, I'll yeah, be the first to admit that that sometimes it doesn't if you're not playing it right, it, it can be a little unwieldy to handle. But if you if you understand what the game is trying to do and what you need to do to play the game, it's really really fascinating. It's, right, it's, it's of a course. Very, a very Sega title. Yeah, most definitely, and you know that's something I see with a lot of Connect titles. People think it's virtual reality. It's not. The game's looking for certain movements. So if you're just wiggling around and running in place, Rise of Nightmares is not going to work for you. But if you if you learn step forward, step back, shift your shoulders, it's uh. It's it's very cool once you get the controls down. I love the uh, stand still and be quiet uh, moments because my wife came in the room and she's like, "What are you playing?" and I died. <laughs> so real, so real. I had to tell the house to be quiet. Um, George, you had another question. Oh yeah, can you give uh, listeners advice on how to, if they're looking for a job in your field, how to land a job? Uh. Kind of tricky. <laughs> I'm not gonna lie. Uh, 
advice. Advice. It depends on uh, what part. So I guess my advice is that is that the game industry is is more than just game designers and programmers. Uh, there's a lot of different capacities uh, for different people in the video game industry. Like I myself, I mean, I have a I have a, a background in computer science, and so I understand programming, but I don't program and I don't design games either. Um, but I do work on them. So um, it's more about you know it's a lot of networking. Um, know what you want to do and know that, that you can work in video games and not not be a game designer. Um, and, you know, just try it. Just know that it takes a little while to kind of, it may take a while to, to kind of find your niche and find uh, where to get into. I would say that it's also probably, uh, at least my, in my experience, um, it's, it's sometimes a little bit better to kind of uh, go the small-time indie route um, rather than like go for the big gun, like go for the big companies right out the door, um, mm -hmm. just because you know when you go to a company, you go to a, a big company that has like thousands of employees. That means that there's that many people trying to apply for that same job. Um, so you know, you need sometimes you need to build your resume a little bit before before you try to jump in a, into the big league. Right, and I assume it's also important to put childhood biases aside. You know, if you're you didn't grow up with the. Uh, well, in your case, you, you didn't grow up with the Sega console, but you you're working for them. So if you grew up disliking the PlayStation 2, thinking it it, it killed the Dreamcast, you know, don't let that affect your uh, career no. moving forward. <laughs> it, it, I, mean, I think I think uh, if if you're the type of person who, who who has that sort of outlook on things, I don't know if you're gonna be you're gonna be able to cut it in the game industry anyway because that's gonna just that's gonna inhibit you from. You know, from working well with with people with different with different opinions and different ideas on how to do stuff. I mean, no one, people, everyone in the industry is everyone's super intelligent, everyone's super smart, and no one walks around hating other people. You know, we all we're all just here to make games. It doesn't, you know, it doesn't matter if your shirt's red, white, or blue. I mean, just we're all on the same team, and we all just want to you know make it fun. Nice. I like that. That's a that's a touching note to end our uh, interview on. George, did you have any additional questions? Nope, that's it. Do you have any additional questions, Barry? No, I, I, I feel at peace. I feel satisfied. This was a good interview. I want to thank Sam so much for talking with us. Um, I know that uh, there's a lot of transition going on at Sega. I just wish everyone the best as yourself. Um, hope everything goes smoothly. And uh, looking forward to talking to you again in the future and looking forward to all the games you have coming out with your name on them. Yeah, me too. Thanks for having me, Thank guys. You so much. Thank you. Thanks again to Sam Mullen for joining us. Uh, be on the lookout for upcoming 3D Classics titles. We have uh, Thunderblade coming. We have the three aforementioned Genesis titles, Streets of Rage 2, Sonic the Hedgehog 2, and Gunstar Heroes. You can also find... Sam and Sega of America at Momocon. That's happening May 28th to the 31st, 2015 in Atlanta, Georgia. So, um, yeah, make your way out there. Say hi to him. And if you see Patrick, a.k.a. Corey Maru from Sega that's walking around, say hello to him. Uh, maybe you can get a picture with him <laughs> or something. <laughs> Uh, you know, he's not really a celebrity, but we like to we like to give him a big head. You just take a picture with him and then email us the picture or send it yeah. to us on Twitter. Right? Exactly, exactly. 
So um, we also, we have a contest here buried in this podcast, rewarding those who are listening. So if you are listening, you can enter this contest. It is Europe only. And the reason it's Europe only is because we have one code left over of 3D Fantasy Zone 2, which uh, came out just recently. It's the latest title. And so the question I'm going to ask, and then you will email your answer and I'll give you those details. The question is, Opa Opa, he appeared in several Fantasy Zone titles for the Sega Master System. I am looking for listeners to email me one title on the Master System that is not a Fantasy Zone game that Opa Opa made a cameo in. It doesn't need to be playable. It can just be a visual cameo. So what you do is you send an email to segabits at gmail.com, subject line, podcast contest. It's a little rhymy, podcast contest. And uh, in the body, really the only information you need to give us is the game or a game, one game that Opa Opa made a cameo in on the Master System. And uh, there's... More than one answer, so whoever answers a correct answer first will win a European code of the game, and we'll send that code over to you. Um, I just yeah. had to put it, that game is pretty fantastic, so get on that. Music is so good. Yes. Very so good, good so happy. I love I love cute-em-ups. I like the term cute-em-up. I like the term too, but that game is uh, very misleading in its looks. It's very hard. Oh, for sure. I mean, the best ones are the ones that just kick your ass. They're so cute and adorable, but then, you know, they, they leave your thumbs numb and swearing at the screen. It's like a vicious, beautiful kitten. Yeah. Yeah. I've given a lot of the cute bosses uh, the middle finger many a time. <laughs> <laughs> I found that's what I actually do. I give the TV or the console the middle finger after a certain amount of time. Um, oh, really? Yeah. Sometimes I feel like throwing the 3DS, and I'm like, no, I paid money for this. It's not, it's not like I'm a kid anymore. I can just throw the controller. Now I'm like, that's a $50 controller. Yeah. I'm not going to do that. I'll just, you Someday. know, I'm looking off the good substitute. <laughs> Someday you'll have you'll be rich and just have a basket full of 3DSs that you can just throw against the wall. Oh, hopefully. I can't wait. <laughs> so uh, that, that concludes this episode. I want to thank everyone for listening. We will be back sooner than later. I know it was a long break between this episode and our last episode with uh, Greg Johnson of Toe Jam and Earl fame. So, uh, yeah, George, I believe that's it. You want to say your goodbyes? Goodbye, everybody. Goodbye. We love you. Thank you for listening. <laughs> right? You got it. I love you. Let's play uh, Rise of Nightmares together.
The Segabits Swinging Report Show is a production of Segabits. Segabits is a fan site that is not in any way officially affiliated with Sega. Sonic the Hedgehog and all Sega-related trademarks are copyright Sega. All other featured trademarks are the property of their respective owners. Don't forget to check out Segabits.com, and you can find us on all major social networks. Just search Segabits. 